Hey listeners, we've loved delving into the business of wine with you and our guests. Your feedback via email, text, social media, and by joining us on our live episodes on Clubhouse has meant the world to us, and we keep striving to do better and better. Some of you have asked on how you can help support the show. So we've decided to launch on Patreon, where your contributions can offset the cost of the show and you can get access to our full library of episodes with more benefits to come. To become a patron of X Chateau, go to patreon.com slash X Chateau to lend your support starting at $5 a month. You can find the link in our show notes or on xchateau.com. We will give a shout out to all new patrons each episode. Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights with your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. Today, we're going to be talking about the branding challenges of the wines of Montepulciano. And our guest is Max de Sarobe, the chairman of Avionese in Montepulciano. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. It's nice of you to welcome me. And uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity in any event. I was hoping you could tell Peter a brief overview of your background and your relationship with Avionese. My background, yeah. Both families, my wife and I, we come from shipping background, but we ended up in the wine business by mistake. And that was 13 years ago. We had no idea what we were doing. We uh, ended up buying this winery because we were a silent partner, but our partner bellied up. So one way or another, we had to take it over. And I still remember, because this is going to be on the 5th of May this year, that it's going to be 13 years that I get into the office and I say, look, guys, I'm your boss. Be kind to me. Let me know what we're talking about here because I've got no idea. That's how it started. As simple as that. So for our listeners who've never heard of Avionese, can you describe where the winery is and what it makes? Yeah, Avionese is actually originally a very well-established noble family from Montepulciano. They've been producing wine from, I would say, the Renaissance. I mean, these guys went to the Crusades, so, I mean, it's a long family. And um, they actually... Uh, somehow took distance from the company because it was taken over by another family and uh, in the uh, 70s already, 74, something like that. And it was in 2007 that, I mean, my wife was taking a share, a kind of silent partnership into Avignonese with the rulers at that time, the guys who were in control of the company. And, you know, one day these guys bellied up and we took over. Now to put you in the picture, Avignonese is located in the southeastern part of Tuscany, very close to Umbria, not that far away from the Lake Trasimeno, on the border between Siena province and Arezzo province. That means very little for Americans, but what it means is that Tuscany as a whole is really on the southeastern tip at the very end of it. That's really on the border. But this is also a historical place where wine has been actually produced for something like half a millennium. I mean, as nobile, 2,600 years as wine, of course. What kind of wine, for those who don't know Vino Nobile de Multipulciano, or even the wines that come out of Multipulciano, does Avignonese make? I mean, not only Avignonese, the whole community produces a wine which is called Vino Nobile. The Vino Nobile is made of Sangiovese, mostly. You have a faculty to reduce the amount of Sangiovese down to 70% or 80% according to the case. But I mean, today, I would say the trend is to produce wines 
mostly made with Sangiovese and with local autochthonous varietals. Yes, definitely. But you can technically add some Merlot and some Cabernet or whatever international varieties, but people tend to leave that aside and concentrate on local stuff. And Avionese is also one of the, maybe, I don't know if biggest, but most reputable producers of Vinsanto as well. Is that correct? Yeah, this is correct. Actually, Avionese's image around the world has been built around Vinsanto. And um, it's funny to say that the day we took over Avionese, I called a friend of mine in France. French know nothing about the Italian wines. And I said, ah, you know, by the way, my wife has taken over Avionese. They said, ah, yeah. These guys who are making this wine, which is a mix of vinegar and sweet wine. So even the French know about the Vincento. And the fact that the French know about the Vincento means that Avignonese is somewhere on the world map of wines. And this is how we got there. I mean, the image of Avignonese is on a worldwide basis associated to the Vincento. And your remark is absolutely pertinent. Yes, definitely. And in terms of size of Avionese, in terms of multiple channel producers, it's one of the largest top five? It is certainly among the largest top five, not the largest one. But I mean, I would say we are in the yeah the leading group. I mean, I think we are something like 430, 40 acres, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, because my American measures are not always clear. But it's about 175 hectares, 170 hectares. It varies from year to year according to what we pull off and what we plant, but it's around that section. For Montepulciano, this is a large dimension, definitely. Bear in mind that Montepulciano is 1,300 hectares in terms of Nobile, no more than that. And we represent 100 hectares, a little bit more than 100 hectares of Nobile. So that gives you an idea of the proportion. Makes sense. So we want to focus most of the discussion around building a wine brand in the town of Montepulciano and making Vino Nobile de Montepulciano wines. Obviously, I've always said that jokingly that Italians are really great at naming things. So, you know, these wines are often confused with Montepulciano del Bruzzo wines, which share that same Montepulciano, but you in fact have the town of Montepulciano. Can you please help us describe the differences between these two types of wines that are often confused by consumers, especially in the U.S.? Of course, when you have a namesake, it's a little bit critical because people are lost completely to understand. I mean, we have few cases in Europe like Champagne or Tokay, which have been used by different countries. But somehow, Europe has been able to clean up that confusion. And we know today that Champagne is only from France and that Tokay is only from Hungary. And whoever was producing something similar had to change the name. And the Spaniards, which used to call their wine Champagne, calls it today Cava. And I think apart from Russia, I don't want to insist on that aspect, which has actually changed. And today claim that Champagne is Russian as well as French. I mean, in everybody's mind, Champagne is only French. The case of Montepulciano is a little bit more complex. I'm not going to feed you with a lot of history, and we'll try to make it as simple as possible. At a certain stage in history, at a certain period, the city of Florence was controlling a large area. And of course, within this large area controlled by uh, Florence city, there were, of course, Montepulciano and other areas in Abruzzo, which were controlled by them. And of course, the wine from Montepulciano was very well known. I'm talking about something like 300 years ago. and um, 
somehow it had an influence on naming local wines within the, I would say, ruling area from Florence. But of course, they came from, at that time, they didn't have this notion, came from different grape varieties. And uh, what happened is that when Italy was created in 1871, almost 100 years after America was born, bear that in mind, you seem to forget that very often, America was born in 1776. Italy was born in 1871, 95 years after you were a country. Don't forget that. This is very important. So, of course, all these things that were before and after got confused. And then we found ourselves with a situation where you had one town, which called Montepulciano, and an area called Abruzzo, which is a province on the eastern coast of Italy, whenever Tuscany is on the western coast of Italy. And Tuscany and Abruzzo don't have a frontier. I mean, they don't have a border together. So they're really completely separated. But they were politically, at a certain moment, they were kind of combined. So what happens is that, of course, you find the word, the, the name Montepulciano, which is used for grape, which is growing mostly on the eastern coast of Italy, and has nothing to do with Montepulciano, the town where we don't grow Montepulciano grape, but Sangiovese. So I have to admit, this is extremely difficult to explain, and it's impossible for a consumer to understand. This is where the problem is, is that you have two namesake products that have absolutely nothing in common, zero, apart from a kind of vague historical background that is completely forgotten. That's where we stand today. We stand today in a situation where you could find on a shelf, and that happens very often. I've been in the States and I've seen that on different, I would say, wine shops or even supermarkets or whatever, where you have two bottles standing next to each other on a shelf carrying the same name. One Montepulciano, Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, and the other one, Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. However, they don't have the same price, but they look the same. So people don't understand why the one on the right is worth three times or four times the one on the left. That creates a kind of confusion. And of course, you're entitled to choose the cheapest one rather than the most expensive one. But at the end of the day, you're not talking about the same thing, but it looks the same. This is really critical. And this is something which we need to clear up because, of course, it's very difficult for Americans to understand that Montepulciano d'Abruzzo and Vino di Montepulciano are two different things. Mind you, most of the Italians don't understand why Washington is not in Washington State. We all have the same problems. So it's just a matter of education and explaining to people what is this and what is that. If I pay for this and you give me that, this is not a deal. This is a bad deal. And unfortunately, this is what happens most of the time. People will go for the cheap stuff and they will not think of what they're buying. They don't know what they're buying. And this is where I thank you guys, is to give me the opportunity here to try, to a certain extent, to make it clear for American people that Abruzzo is one thing and Montepulciano is another one. And as a reference, I mean, the Montepulciano area for Vinopolis de Montepulciano 
considerably smaller than all of Abruzzo, which could be growing multiple tons of Abruzzo. So the volume of wine at the lower price point with a different grape is a lot more accessible or out there than the Vinoba that the Montepulciano is. Obviously, what you have to take into account is this. Basically, we've got one grape, okay, which is called Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, which grows in Abruzzo, but not only in Abruzzo, in Australia, in New Zealand, in South America, in Northern America, because of course, this is a grape. So it grows anywhere. And then you've got one village with, you know, 1,300 hectares compared to this. So you could actually compete with a wine from New Zealand when you are from Montepulciano town, which is a complete nonsense because it has nothing to do with Italy. But of course, how can you explain that to people? How can you explain that you can find on the same shelf a wine from New Zealand, Australia, or Argentina, or Chile, next to a Tuscan wine, and they have the same name? Sometimes you realize it's amazing. Why is it like that? That should be the question you ask me. <laughs> well, and there are examples of Italy making some changes because Prosecco had a similar area issue where the grape was called Prosecco and you can't trademark or protect it. So they basically annexed it down <laughs> into the DOC that was named Prosecco and then changed the name of the grape to Galera in order to like protect that thing. I'm curious, are there, are there debates about changing the grape name of Montepulciano de Bruzzo, the Montepulciano grapes, because you have a protected historic city with that name? Yeah, that's, you know, you're getting to the essence of the problem. When you have a conflict, which is an international conflict, where you cross a border, whenever you have somebody producing something and someone on the other side of the border producing something with the same name, then you find a kind of great support from your administration and from your politicians to defend your national product. So, of course, when Prosecco found a problem because, of course, it was the name of the grape and it could be used elsewhere, then the Italian government helped to solve the situation. The problem that Montepulciano d'Abruzzo has with Australia and with Argentina and other countries is something that, believe me, the Italian government will actually care for and do their best to protect their Montepulciano d'Abruzzo denomination. Whenever you have a domestic fight between two identities that are namesake, then the government is placed in front of Dalima. Who am I going to protect? And in one end, you have 18,000 people, 15,000 voters at the most. And on the other side, 2.2 million people, let's put it, 2 million voters. So the story is told. We stand no chance. There is not a single Italian politician who's going to do anything to protect Montepulciano town because we count for nothing compared to the other guys who, of course, have got a much larger political impact. We are zero and they are the mass. So we will be sacrificed on the altar of the Italian politician. There's no doubt about that. Forget it. They will give them all the support they can, and they'll give us no support whatsoever. Actually, we went to the court of Luxembourg, which is the European International Court, and they accepted our claim. And they said, okay, I mean, what you're saying, you guys from Montepulciano down, deserves consideration from the European Court. Italian government sabotaged it for the reasons I've just explained. 
we have no ground legally in Europe because we are too small. So this is where we are reduced to survive with our own means, but we cannot count on our own administration because they are our worst enemy. <laughs> I mean, guys, I mean, you know, what I'm saying is probably not politically correct, but it's so close to the truth that you have no idea. I mean, what I'm saying makes sense. When you are 15,000 voters, you don't exist for Italian politicians. They're not going to protect you. You're dead meat. But one of the things with having a bigger brand, if you want to call it that, that you're associated with, Multiple Challenge Abruzzo, at one point was a pretty world-renowned wine. It produces much bigger volumes. It had its heyday, I think, in the 90s. Did that lead to more or less demand for Vino Nobile de Montepulciano wines, which people might have gotten confused with and said, oh, this must be the better wine of the Montepulciano and, and buy that instead? Yeah, it's more complex than that. I mean, I don't want people to get more confused about it. But I mean, you have to realize that Montepulciano as a town and Nobile as a wine is actually squeezed between the rock and the hot place. The rock is Montalcino, our neighbors, 11 miles away. But, of course, they've been managed by American interest. The Mariani family, who owns Banffy, are American distributors and importers, or importers, I think. And, of course, during the years of the spiraling lira, they've been able to actually invade the American market with a product. And it was a piece of cake because, of course, every time you make a special discount, you couldn't care less because when you transcript that into liras, every day it was more money. So this is not going to happen again, but happened in the liras time. Today, in Europe, you can't do anything like that. So Brunello, with their Sangiovese, took a strong position in the American market. And on the other side, that was rock. The hard place is that, of course, we share the name with the Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, which is cheap. We produce 10 million bottles a year. They produce 120 million bottles a year. You need three years to make a Sangiovese from Montepulciano. And in one year, you've made a Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. So it is clear that these guys, they have invaded the lower part of our market and Brunello, the upper part of our market. So we squeezed in between and there is nothing we can do. Many people confuse Montalcino, Montepulciano in terms of words. Everybody knows that Brunello is the expensive wine which is appreciated by the Americans because of the marketing that has been done in the end of last century, beginning of this century. You know, Banffy has been doing a fantastic work. I have to say, uh, chapeau. I mean, these guys have been really placed the Brunello as the wine from Tuscany, leaving aside the Super Tuscan, which is also the other wine from Tuscany, which has taken a great position in the American market. But actually, Super Tuscan is nothing else but Pseudo Bordeaux. It has nothing to do with Tuscany. It's a Pseudo Bordeaux. It's like saying impressionists. You know, this is something which has been invented by journalists. The guys who painted the impressionist paintings never thought they were impressionists. And the same thing applies to Super Tuscan. They're nothing else but Pseudo Bordeaux. Let's call it a spade a spade. They are not Tuscan. They are Tuscan by the soil but not by their nature. And then when you go back to the Tuscan nature, who rules the place? There's only one place in Tuscany 
that produces wines that are fine wines. I'm talking about the last 500 years, guys. I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm talking about half a millennium. It's Montepulciano. Montepulciano produces a wine that is exported to the entire world and that is consumed by the nobility. That's why it's called nobile. Nobile means that the consumer of this wine is the aristocracy. The rest is aliment, it's food. In Italy, the notion of fine wine is rare through the centuries. There are only two places where the notion of fine wine is present in the peninsula. Let's not talk about Italy, because Italy didn't exist. It's Barolo, because it's part of the French circle, because Piemont is completely attached to the French wine community, and they have very early this notion of making wines of quality, which are not supposed to be food, but luxury, and Montepulciano. Those are the two places in the old peninsula when the notion of wine is actually detached from the idea of feeding people. It's just a matter of quality. These wines are bottled. They're not put in damijan, or I don't know how you call that in English, damijan, and they are actually bottled to be exported. To say the least, the biggest importer in Virginia in the late 18th century, early 19th century of wine from Montepulciano is your president, the most famous wine lover of America, Thomas Jefferson. He's a keen Montepulciano town drinker. He imports about $250 at that time per year of wine from Montepulciano to Virginia. And when you look at what he writes, and I went to the Library of Congress, and you can see from his own handwriting, he's actually fascinated by this wine. He considers it's the best wine they can find from Italy. And believe me, if you dig into this, you realize that whatever he buys from France, he sells to Washington, who has no idea about wine. But what he keeps from himself is actually the wine from Montepulciano. (laughs) I'm not joking. This is a true story. I can prove it. We have all the documents. This is what is amazing. He goes even further. I mean, this guy is a genius. You know, when he writes to Matzei, his friend, who is a comrade from, because I think they're both from Masons, they're both Masons, and he's the one shipping the wine to him. He said, and get me the wine from the old Jesuit vineyard, because that's the best. So he goes so far that within Montepulciano, where he actually never step a foot, he knows exactly what is the best producer. And we're talking about the late 18th century, early 19th century. And it's an American guy who knows that. And for me, this is the evidence, I mean, that really what happened in Montepulciano is of great deal of interest because historically, Montepulciano is the mother of all Tuscan fine wines. Definitely. All the rest came afterwards, but way afterwards. Montalcino, the first wine from Montalcino was made in 1888. I'm talking of wines from Montepulciano from the 17th century. And when you talk about the uh, pseudo Bordeaux, this is not even 50 years. What are we talking about? Where is the genuine Tuscan wine that has been confused with a wine from Abruzzo? I mean, it's amazing how our denomination 
has failed to communicate over the last 50 years. We are garden gnomes in terms of communication. No doubt about it. Because when you know what we're sitting on, it's a gold mine. And we have not been able to actually communicate that to the world. And we've been confused with others that have copied us and have been actually benefited of what we did. And they're making profit in our wake, which is a complete nonsense. But this is our fault. This is the fact that we didn't have the opportunity to, to people like you guys because nobody did speak English. Because in our town, which is very remote, very backwards, we don't speak English. So we are far away from your world and we missed completely our communications because of that. But okay, this is going to change. Thank to you. So, well, hopefully partially thanks to us. But so there's all this history and the town of Montepulciano that had this great legacy and reputation for fine wine. It's been sort of pulled down, if you will. I'm sure that's not the only reason, but one of many reasons by the Montepulciano di Abruzzo. And then there's, I mean, I assume there's a consortio or some organization for Vino Nobile di Montepulciano that should try to be elevating the wines. Because if you look at your parallel of Barolo, Barolo is still considered one of the top wines of Italy, certainly the top wine of Piedmont. What has the Consortio of Vino Nobile been doing to try to clarify the confusion between the regions and reassert itself as the fine wine of Tuscany? I think we should not blame the Consortio as such. I think the Consortio has been trying to get support from the uh, national politicians. They've been betrayed, definitely. So, of course, I mean, the consortium is not ideal. They're weak points. I'm actually, I'm working for them. I'm supposed to be the exclusive communicator for the United States. They give me that mission. This is why I'm talking to you guys. But for years, they've been relying on their local politicians and they've been betrayed by them for the reason I've explained at the beginning. And this is where I think we failed. We failed because we were innocent. I mean, the consortium was trying to get support from people who actually would not give it to them. And this has been a wasted period of something like 30 years, mostly. And also, nobody speaks English in this town. Nobody does. So very few people are able really to communicate. And of course, when you have one guy or two guys able to communicate in English, then of course it grows up. It kind of develops in mushrooms in a way. We were really backwards in this respect, I have to admit. This is it. This is the fact. It's only people coming from outside, like me, like my wife, like my friends of Boscarelli and uh, Antinori or whatever, that of course brought some kind of international flair to this area, which has always been seen by the Italian community as the toppest wine you could find in Italy, at least in Tuscany, except with Barolo. I have to say, are the ones, but I mean, those wines were really wines for the elite. They were produced in that mind. And these people have been helping it, but I mean, this is only something extremely recent. We're talking about five years. Before that, there was no communication. Can you imagine? The um, president of the consortium doesn't speak English. The general manager of the consortium doesn't speak English. So I'm talking about Avignonese, yeah. Just making parentheses, that has nothing to do with the business today. But as a company, one of the first things we've done is to organize English classes 
for the children of our employees and the children of our hamlet in our village. Because we said, if these guys are conscious that English is essential for the survival of the local economy, they will not have to immigrate. They will be able to actually survive by dragging tourists into this area, by communicating with them. You have to understand that this is really a remote place. Therefore, we need to invest in things as stupid as teaching English to young kids. So every week, we have three classes at Avignonese in our compound where children from the village and from our employees come and we have an English teacher, which is a certified English teacher. She's actually born English. That is teaching them because this is essential. This is exactly what we've been missing. This is exactly what Montepulciano never got and that Montalcino got immediately because Montalcino had some American investors that actually brought the image of Montalcino to America. But the real center of the Sangiovese, the cradle of the Sangiovese, is Montepulciano, not Montalcino. Everybody knows that in Tuscany. No one knows that in America. We definitely would not have uh, <laughs> come away with that or known that otherwise. So has the consortio or anyone ever estimated the financial impact to Vino Nobile of the confusion? I don't think anything has been calculated. What I can say is I put myself in the position of an American consumer going to a, a shelf in a supermarket or in one shop and sees next to each other, wines that are mixed up together and that actually no reason to be next to each other and sees the different in price. The choice naturally will be levering down. There's no way somebody's going to pay more for the same product when they think it's the same product, but it is not the same product. And that's where the whole problem stands is, of course, when you see two bottles of Coca-Cola, one at $2 and one at $1, what are you going to buy? So if people don't understand, if the American consumer doesn't understand the difference between one and the other, 120 million bottles against 10 million bottles, no specific... I mean, I don't want to undermine what the guys in Abruzzo, God forbid, I'm not spitting on what they do. It's excellent, it's wonderful, it's worth every cent you pay for it. No doubt about it. But we're not talking about the same thing. It's not the same league. I mean, we produce 10 million bottles. We spend basically two and a half or three years to get the bottle to your shelf. The amount of grape we actually harvest per hectare is not the same. It's much more limited. We have a much more, I would say, strict bill of, I don't know how to say that in English, but we call that disciplinary. So the rules that we have to abide with to comply with the fact of being named Nobile di Montepulciano are a million times stricter than the ones for the Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. They have a kind of wide range of possibilities, which we don't have. It's very narrow. We have to do this, that, so many months in bottles, so many months in wood, and so on and so on. So before a bottle gets into the market, we need to wait almost three years. They can do that immediately. So that has nothing to do with quality, with the pleasure of enjoying a bottle of one and a bottle of the other. I enjoy both of them equally. But of course, you have to understand that it's not the same price. That's it. 
and that people have to, I'm sorry to say that, to separate the wheat from the chaff. And that's what we need to explain. One of the ways that the consortio, I think, has started to try to differentiate itself and align itself more with Montalcino and Chianti is to write Vino de Toscana on the labels. When did that start? Yeah, that sounded a year ago. Yes, I mean, this is a good remark. It's good that you understand that because you know that Toscana and Abruzzo are two different provinces. It's not necessarily true for every American. So it's a good thing that to anchor the nobile into Tuscany, but does Mr. Smith know that actually Abruzzo is another province? Do you know that actually Rome is in Latium? You don't. So it's a little bit very centered into Italian way of thinking. That's one of the major problems of the Italians, that they think that they are the center of the world. Like anybody, Americans do the same, Russians do the same, everybody does the same. But, you know, we, we're all part of the same planet, so we need to explain things. And I think that by saying Toscana, Toscana, which is not even Tuscany, Toscana, is not something which really appeals to Americans. I think it's more important, and this is what we've been doing in the a small group of producers called the Alliance, that was created five years ago, is that we pressured the consortia to actually allow us and allow everybody, but I mean, uh, under our pressure, to allow everybody to actually place nobile and to highlight the word nobile compared to vino nobile di Montepulciano. All right. I mean, I'm going to drag you into a kind of very legal and boring matter, but I need to put you in the context so that you understand, guys. According to European law, you are not allowed to name a wine according to an adjective. So you cannot say, I mean, this is really very legal matter. It's boring, but you will understand. It's a context that I'm bringing you in. You cannot say excellent or wonderful or the best or whatever. It has to be, technically, it has to be a substantive, a name, a noun. If it's not a noun, you're not allowed to use that as a name for wine, as a name for DOCG, anything like that. The problem we had is that nobile in Italian is a noun and an adjective at the same time, like noble. I am a noble, and he is a noble man. So the European community rejected noble or nobile as a DOCG. They said this could be construed as an adjective. This gives a feeling that it's a good one, and this is actually detrimental to the others, so you're not allowed to use it. So to solve the problem, the consortio did a good job, by the way. They went back into, of course, the archives, and they came back with the fact that already in the 17th century, they were talking about the Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, between brackets. So Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, as a denomination, was accepted by the European Union because it was not an adjective, it was a sentence. Vino Nobile di Montepulciano. What the fuck do we need to say it's vino? Everybody knows it's wine. But okay, yeah, but I mean, guys, I mean, this is legal matters. You don't care about it in America, but we have to deal with that every day in Europe. So by actually saying vino nobile di Montepulciano, the denomination was accepted because historically it was proven that for three or 400 years, it's been used at such. And of course, 
Europe had to recognize historical denominations even before Europe existed. So they took it and they, we embarked into the idea to call it Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, which, of course, as you can imagine, is a mess because not a single American is able to pronounce it properly from A to Z. Okay, point one. <laughs> I mean, market-wise, it's a disaster. But okay, not only that, because it actually includes Montepulciano, which is a punishment because it actually confuses with guys from Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. But that was the only way we could do it. So we did it that way. And of course, I said, when I arrived in Montepulciano, I said, this is actually something which is destroying our image. It's too long and it's confusing. Why don't we call it nobile? Simply nobile. Nobile, it's a wonderful world. But of course, it's not allowed by law. So we found a trick. Listen to this. It's quite amazing. The trick is this. It has to do with the size of the front label and the size of the back label. If the front label is smaller than the back label, people will actually put the bottle facing the public with the largest label and not the smallest label. So on the back label, we write Vino Nobile di Montepulciano in full, but the back label is the front label, the legal label, but it's a small. And the commercial label, the one that everybody will put in front, states Nobile in big. So what we've done is actually we have inverted the whole thing Listen, this is legal. I'm a lawyer, so that's where the whole thing comes up. We actually put on the back side the legal official label and on the front side the commercial label, which is free. And the commercial label says in big nobile, which we are not allowed to put on the official label, which is actually hidden behind. And this way we've been able to, I would say, avoid the problem and to stress the word nobile, which we think is by far the best way to promote our wine because it's easy to pronounce. Even Americans understand what it means because it has a clear connection with noble. Between you and me, you couldn't find a better word to promote a wine. So this is how we've done it. And this is a work which has been done by the Alliance. It's a group of six producers who've been pushing the consortium to somehow give in and bend the law to the benefit of the denomination. So today, what you could find is many wines where the commercial label, which is the big one, states the word nobile in big and Montepulciano. It's very small. You don't see it or hardly see it because we can use colors in such a way that the word Montepulciano is completely camouflaged into the color of the label so you can't see it. Look at what we have to do to survive in this political world of Italian corrupted politics. I mean, we have to find solutions. This, we did it. We did it. It's a creative solution. I'm curious, though. I'm assuming we talk a lot about the U.S. market. I'm assuming there's no domestic in Italy that there's no confusion between Montepulciano Bruzzo and Vinobile de Montepulciano. All Italians understand the difference and that they're different grapes. That's yes. inherently understood. I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not talking bullshit. You're not going to think that I'm telling you the truth, but I am. The reason why we managed to convince 
the president of the Consorcio of Montepulciano to actually operate this kind of change in the labels comes from a very strange history that he told me. He went to a kind of big meeting in the province of Tuscany, where the head of the province was hosting all the different producers of cheese and meat and whatever, you know, there was a kind of thing there. And then he comes to the president of the Consorcio. I'm talking about the president of the province of Tuscany, guys. Are you sitting? President of the Tuscany province. And he's introduced to the new president of the Consorcio from Montepulciano. And what he says is this. Ah, I like your wine. This Montepulciano d'Abruzzo is fantastic. This is the president of the province of Tuscany talking to the president of the Consorcio of Montepulciano. He always denied what I said until that day. Then he came to me and he said, Max, fucking Max, you're right. <laughs> Sorry to say that. But I mean, that was it. I mean, when your own boss doesn't make the difference between what is his own production and the production from another province, look at what you are. Look at where you are. Look at what you have to do. So if you had one wish from God or the marketing gods to differentiate Vino Nobile de Multipulciano and Multipulciano di Abruzzo, what would you ask for? I would say just stick to Nobile. It's such a wonderful world. It's a word that actually tells it all. Nobile is really where we are. It's really who we are. We are the noble area in Tuscany. And we are the wine for the nobles. Yes, we are the noble producers. We are the elite, historically, without prejudice to all the others. They do fantastic wines, and I'm a keen drinker of wines from Montalcino. I mean, I love them. Sangiovese is fantastic. People have to understand that, actually, there is one place where Sangiovese grows like nowhere else. It's Tuscany. Anywhere else is good, but not as good as from Tuscany. So somehow we are Chianti Classico, Chianti in general, and uh, Brunello and Nobile producing the best Sangiovese in the world. But no one is ruling. We're all there at the same level. It's a matter of quality. It's not a question. We are so close anyway. There are probably within one denomination, whatever, within one denomination, more variety than there are similarities between two denominations because we are sticking to each other. It's a kind of one basing. So people should take some distance with this kind of, oh, this denomination is better than that one. They should think of this wine or that area, specific area, that microcosm is better than this one. Fair enough. But it has to be seen as Tuscany as a whole, not uh, Brunello is better and then Chianti comes after and the last one is Montepulciano or vice versa. That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. This is what Americans think because, of course, the mainstream media have been actually feeding you with this kind of misinformation. But the reality from a Tuscan point of view is that we are all Tuscans. And what we do is that some guys are good and some guys are bad. But that's nothing to do with where you are from. As long as you are from Tuscany, your Sangiovese is by far the best in the world. No doubt about it. 
This is something it doesn't grow well anywhere else. This is the unique place in the world where Sangiovese grows well. Montepulciano d'Abruzzo can grow anywhere. Sangiovese grows perfectly in Tuscany and in central Italy. I don't want to limit that to that. It has to be, go north and south, but central Italy is the heart of the Sangiovese. And there is no hierarchy. It's just a matter of who you are and what you do. Whether you are closer from the sea, whether you are more continental, whether you are in higher level, you have different options. And you like it or you don't like it. You prefer this one, you prefer that one. But in general, no other place on the planet can produce Sangiovese like we do. That doesn't happen for Cabernet, Merlot, and the others. They grow everywhere. We don't. Only grow there. It's definitely true that Sangiovese has a home and a, and a different lens in Tuscany or Central Italy, as you say. Central Italy, I mean, I don't want to limit that to Tuscany, but Central Italy is the place, definitely. No doubt about it. I mean, everybody who's trying to do that outside of this area collapsed. So we want to thank you for giving us so much context to the challenges of marketing Nobile de Montepulciano and the confusion that it's caused historically, giving us some historic context and also what you and the consortium are doing to help create awareness, including some interesting labeling. We want to end the episode on a personal note and we'd like to ask you, what was the most memorable wine you've had over the last year and who did you drink it with? It's certainly not my wine. By far, it's not. No, no, no. That happened a few years ago. I wouldn't say many years ago, but a few years ago, because it was my wife's birthday. I would not say which one. And we had the dinner at a restaurant in Brussels, because my wife is Belgian. She's Flemish, French-speaker Flemish. We had a, a dinner with friends, very good friends, in a restaurant in Belgium called Comme Chez Soi, which is one of the most famous Brussels restaurants. And then we went into a vertical of Belgian wine. Belgian wine, from, of course, from Bordeaux more specifically from Pomerol, the VCC, the Vieux Chateau Certain. So we started with the uh, ongoing vintage. I will not mention it because that will indicate the age of my wife. But we went up and we went up far, far until 59. You know, 59, 61, you know, we went through all the big pitting. And that has been probably one of the most fantastic one experience I had with Vieux Chateau Certain, which I think is probably in uh, Pomerol, the most wonderful wine you can find by far. So we did the full Monty of every good vintage between the time my wife was celebrating her birthday until 59. And it was absolutely stunning. I mean, this wine is a great wine. And I have the greatest respect for my friends of Vieux Chateau Certain and the family Timpont for the fantastic ones they make. I mean, I wish, I wish we could in Tuscany have the same endeavor for quality that Bordeaux has shown. And I think that historically we're not far from that. But of course, we have to recognize that the center of the wine remains Burgundy and Bordeaux. And we all have to take example of what they've done and try to inspire ourselves of their effort to quality and try to replicate modestly what they've done. I think it's a good place to end it. We want to thank you, Max, for taking this time and being so candid with us and our listeners and sharing your experiences in marketing Avionese as a nobile de Montepulciano. 
Well, thank you guys for, first of all, the fact that you took the pain to come and visit our place, which I think is important because we have wonderful landscape full of biodiversity, probably one of the very rare areas where we produce wine for centuries, but vineyards are not taking all the place. And uh, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your interest in what we're doing. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to speak to the world through you. And um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash xchateau if you'd like to support us in bringing you the highest quality content on the business of wine. Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.